0: This is a reminder, if you don't have a Bible or a copy of the version we read, the ESV, we'd be happy to give you one. You'll find a stack of them on the way out this morning on the table. Please feel free to take one with our blessings. Genesis 16, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, "'Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her.' And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her servant, as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress.' And Sarai said to Abram, "'May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she judged on, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me.' But Abram said to Sarai, "'Behold your servants and your power to do as you please.' Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called beir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore ishmael to abram this is the word of the lord thanks be to god let's pray so father we pray that you would make your word a swift word it would go from our ears to our heart and that it would cause us to walk in your statutes remind us of your love O lord show us our sin that we might walk humbly with you we pray father for the filling of the spirit for all of us for the preacher and hearer we ask these things in the name of our redeemer our savior christ amen is it okay to take moral shortcuts? Is it okay to take moral shortcuts? Do you know what I mean by that? To seek to achieve something good, but doing it in a way that God does not approve of. Right. Like, like at work, God desires for us, it's a good thing to provide for our families, but is it okay to skirt the law, perhaps leaving it behind you just a little bit, Just like everybody else in order to achieve that good thing or in marriage you you want you want your spouse to be happy that's a good thing but in order to do so you don't talk about something you need to or confess something you need to is it okay to take moral shortcuts i remember once i was in on a mission trip in a country in asia and we were riding a taxi back to the university where we were staying and uh, we're in a big city, about 300,000 people, and we're one university heading back to the other, and none of us spoke Chinese, I know, or, or Asian, the language that I'm not supposed to mention. Uh, we, we None of us spoke that language, but someone who did got us into the cab and said, hey, do you know where this place is? Said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. He knew the place, the way to get to the university, and 10 minutes later, we were out in the middle of a field. The city way behind us. I didn't know any Chinese. I kept saying no in the name of the university over and over again. The only Chinese I knew. I started stuffing money into my socks. Wondering if we were going to be left out there. He had taken a moral shortcut, right? Not a physical one, that's for sure. Because he had said he knew where he was going. He wanted the good thing, the fair but he had lied in order to get it. A lot of times, taking moral shortcuts can seem like a harmless thing to do. Right? They can seem to, to be a way to get where we're going faster. They might even seem to help God out, a phrase that's probably unhelpful. In today's text, however, we see that there are grave costs, often unintentional doing something wrong when we're trying to achieve something good. and Ultimately, the cost for us, the redeemed Christians, God's people, was the blood of God's Son so that we might be forgiven and reconciled to Him. Our text surprisingly comes on the heels of a, a great high point in Abram's life. Abram had met with God in this amazing elaborate ceremony in which a covenant was made between the living God and between, and Abram. He had seen a theophany, a physical manifestation of God. He was on the mountaintop, the highest of highs, and then in today's text we see him in the low of lows. Certainly you've had this experience too. Oftentimes it's when we have had a long period of especially seeking the Lord or being very close to Him or seeing some success ministry-wise in our lives. That we get complacent, we get tired, and then bam, there's temptation, and we fall and fail. We've seen Abram do it before, he's going to do it again. This is the Christian life, isn't it? It just doesn't excuse what he did. But we've all been where Abram is, and before we throw too many stones at him, we should see how it points us to our own excuses for taking shortcuts in our lives. See, there was a problem. God had promised Abram offspring, and yet, ten years later, being in the promised land, lots happened in ten years. Sarah is still barren. She has no children. Time's running out. And so Sarah comes up with this idea. Abram should have a child by an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, and then they can call that child theirs. Problem solved. And this is called a moral shortcut. It was good in the sense that they wanted what was promised by God, yet they wanted to do it in a way that did not follow God's desires and design. Normally, when we take shortcuts morally, we come up with some pretty convincing excuses, don't we? It's amazing how how good I am at justifying my own behavior. Aren't you? You've had a lot of experience. I know I have. So, I want to look at a few potential excuses in this text. And the first is social acceptability. This could have been going on in Sarah's mind. Social acceptability, everybody was doing it. And that's actually true. As crazy as this sounds to us, that it would be okay socially for this to happen. This was done all the time in Abram's day. In fact, it had been established practice for over a thousand years by this point. We have big tablets and things that refer to this kind of code, this kind of law, that a man could have an heir by a servant if and when his wife was barren. Now, it was socially acceptable for Sarai and Abram to do this. It was right in the eyes of the culture that it was not right in the eyes of God. Perhaps this exact thing isn't accepted anymore. That's a good thing. We have other forms of it, don't we? Other things that the culture says are okay. And it's easy to say, you know, everybody's doing it. To excuse our own behavior. How about cohabitation? The line is we need to make sure that we're compatible before we get married. I mean, just statistically speaking, you're two thirds more likely to get divorced if you cohabitate before marriage. Taking out the moral aspect of it, it's just a, it's just a bad idea. Or, or ruthless business practice. God wants me to provide my family. Good thing. But society says it's okay. Or watching things we aren't supposed to. I, know, I need to know what's out there. One of our excuses so often. Now here's the thing, just because it's okay according to the world's standards doesn't mean it's okay to God's standards. There are other excuses here as well, and and perhaps the worst is the so-called religious excuse. Now Sarah has spoken really well of in the New Testament, several places. She is commended. So she's, she's a sinner, right? But she's not an evil person, as we would call her. She's not. She had mixed motives. They weren't pure motives. But she did seem to want what God had promised. And so there's this this idea of, you know, well, I just want what God wants. And yet she went about it the the wrong way. This was a religious excuse. She wanted what God wanted, but not the way he wanted to do it. What does this look like today? Perhaps when we seek to do the Lord's work at church, and in the community, but we leave a wake of collateral damage behind us, right? Perhaps being so laser-focused on some project that, that we're not careful of how we treat others around us. There's one last one that's particularly dangerous, and that's the God owes me excuse. Look at verse 2. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Did you catch that? All right, is she wrong? No. The Lord has control over the womb. However, that's not how she means it, is it? She's blaming God for something that she wants that God has not given. What should she have done? I was doing my Bibles this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and Hannah this amazing godly woman who was barren. What does she do? She cries out to the Lord. In fact, the text says that she poured out her soul to the Lord. And instead of pouring out her soul to the Lord, Sarai takes things into her own hands. See, Sarai has a sense of entitlement. She blames God for not giving her a child when she wanted it. She blamed Him. I'm very thankful that God does not give us what He owes us, which is His curse and this life and the next. That's it. That's what God owes us. Everything else we have is a gift, a wonderful gift. He is a loving Father and gives us amazing gifts. We have to be very careful not to slide into a sense of entitlement. By the way, as an American church, this is one of our, our real struggles, isn't it? For we have oftentimes married the American dream and, and, the, and the message of the gospel. That what God is saving us to is for a fantastic life here on earth. And that's not true. God gives us wonderful, many wonderful things. Praise be to God. But we're not entitled to them. And when we don't get them, sometimes, whether it's a relationship we want or a job we want or the health we want, we can end up blaming God, which gives us a heart that is no longer thankful for anything that He has given us. And we can use it to excuse all kinds of behavior. Well, Sarai is not the only guilty party. In fact, I would say she's not the most guilty party here, right? Indeed, none of the three characters we see in here, none of them comes across as very godly. But Abram might have a big excuse. (laughs) So so here's the thing. Sarai and Abram are old. Sarai comes to Abram and says, here's this young maidservant. You should have a child with her. And what does he say? Okay. (laughs) Right? Um, Yeah. It shouldn't have happened. Abram knew better. He had just been, um, he had just experienced this amazing uh, experience with God, having entered into a covenant with him. He has seen a theophany. He has seen God manifested in physical form. He's heard all of these promises by God. And then Sarai comes and says, Here, take Hagar. You know, it's, it's language that echoes Genesis 3:12. This is what Adam said. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate, right? There's a woman to blame. The woman you gave. Sarai took Hagar and gave her to Abram, just like Eve took the fruit and gave it to Adam. And whose sin was it? Well, I mean, the woman sinned too. But the, the real sinner here, the one who knew so much better, who had heard God's voice, was Abram. He should have he known better. And yet, my wife told me to do it. You've heard the old story. A man went to his neighbor and asked to borrow a cup of sugar. The neighbor said, nope, it's going to rain today. It's going to rain today. What does it have to do with anything? Well, if you don't plan on doing it, any excuse will do. The reality is an excuse is an excuse. And here's the thing, y'all, we have experienced God's grace and we know so much more than Abram ever would. He looked forward to the things that we look back to. He had a glimpse of the bigger picture that we have seen. He knew that some, one of his seed would come and be the redeemer of God's people. We know all about him. Jesus, our Savior. And y'all, we find all sorts of excuses for our moral shortcuts, don't we? You know what God calls moral shortcuts? Sin. We've looked at the excuses. Let's talk about the costs of moral shortcuts from this text and in our lives. Um, First, is that we see that moral shortcuts lead to future temptation. Moral shortcuts lead to future temptation. How is that true in this text? Well, where did Hagar come from? Why is she even here? She's an Egyptian, not part of Abram's family, not part of the local people groups. But see, Abram had been to Egypt. He had gone down there when he left the promised land looking for food during a famine. Instead of praying and asking God for provision, he starts looking And he goes to a man who considers himself a god-man, Pharaoh. And while he is there, Pharaoh gives him a lot of stuff and servants. And it's likely that Hagar was obtained there. So because of a sin in the past, because of a moral shortcut, now there is in his camp, in his household, a great source of temptation. Another impact of taking moral shortcuts. I don't know the theological term, but we just call it a mess. And we see it in verses 4 through 6. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, behold your servant is in your power, do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. All right, let's summarize what happens. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Hagar gets pregnant, right? Then the Lord, then th- excuse me, then she lords it over Sarai. Sarai gets angry. She blames it on Abram even though it was her idea. Abram, looking to keep peace, Demotes Hagar from wife back to servant, and then Sarai lets Hagar have it. Then Hagar, the only thing she seems to be able to do to survive is to leave and flee. It sounds like a soap opera, like sands to the hourglass. <laughs> so are the days of our lives. I recently brought, bought some more extension cords, and I added them to the pile of extension cords. And what had been a mess of two to three extension cords is now a mess of five to six extension cords. I actually don't know how many I have anymore. You have to plug one in and try to find the other, see if there's power coming through it. You know, when we make moral shortcuts, it's like that. It just makes a mess. And it's hard to untangle, and sometimes it's impossible to untangle. See, the problem with moral shortcuts is it leads to unintended consequences. It seemed like a great idea at the time, right? Certainly, Sarai didn't expect all this bad to happen. Certainly, Abram didn't either. But there were long-term consequences as well. See, Ishmael would be the father of 12 clans or tribes, many of whom are Arabs today. And he and his children, his descendants, would be opposed to those who came from the line of promise. Isaac and Jacob, we know them as the Jewish people. And they have been in conflict ever since. Wars have been fought. There are often long-term wounds that are inflicted upon those around us as well. Unintentionally, there's no such thing as a safe or private sin. They affect those whom we love the most. You know, when we're faced with trying to decide if we're going to obey God or not, there may be a costly price for obedience, especially the further we get into these things. You may lose friends. You may lose standing in the community. You might even lose your family. But the cost will always be less costly than disobeying God. For what did it cost? What did it cost God for us to be forgiven of our moral shortcuts, the death of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins? Well, there's a lot of bad news in this text, but there's a whole lot of good news too. See, First, we need to see the, the problem of our sin, but we can't stop there. We have to see the loveliness of Christ. And there's a lot of loveliness of Christ written all, this, all over this passage. See, the Lord intervenes. The Lord intervenes. We see this in 7 through 16, the intervention of the Lord. Right? Thankfully, when we take moral shortcuts, there's still forgiveness in the Lord, and He will help us work through the consequences. Praise God. One of the biggest consequences that we see from this episode was harm done to Hagar. We shouldn't miss that. Hagar didn't have any say in any of this. She was not given a choice to have this child by Abram. We don't know if she was willing or not, but she certainly wasn't given a choice. But then she fled. And she started on her long trek back to Egypt, carrying the child of a foreigner. It was not a good place to be, and that's when the Lord showed up. We're introduced for the first time in Scripture, this figure, kind of a mysterious figure. He pops in and out of Israel's history called the angel of the Lord. Not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. This is no ordinary angel. He accepts worship in several places. He is identified as God by those who, to whom he appears. And he speaks directly for God. Some have wondered if it's the second person of the Trinity, a pre-incarnate Jesus. Perhaps. I can't, certainly can't disprove that. But he is closely identified with Yahweh. He seems to be that he is Yahweh. He interrogates Hagar the same way that the Lord interrogated Adam after he sinned. Where, you, where did you come from and where did you go? He knew all those answers. He tells her to return back to Sarai and submit to her. That's, that's kind of harsh to our ears, isn't it? But he's not done. See, so he's going to bless her. Hagar had sought to curse her, but God is going to bless her. In fact, She's going to have so many descendants that you can't number them. Now, this sounds like the promises that were made to Abram, right? But not quite. Because the the angel of the Lord is going to go on, looking at verses 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So on the one hand, the Lord is going to bless her and her progeny. She has called out in faith upon God. Hagar is about the only hero in this story, the one that we least expect to be the hero in the story. But this child is going to be like a bull in a china shop, not constrained by moral standards. He's going to be a curse for his kinsmen, and he's going to know conflict all his days and all his descendants. Talk about unintended consequences. But we have here two amazing names that point us to the love that God has for his people. Have you ever made a mess of your life? Today? <laughs> you know. Of course you have. Does that mean that God has forsaken you? Of course not. Have you ever taken a moral shortcut? Of course you have. Does that mean that God has given you over to your sin? No. See, God is at work in us, and He is going to complete the work that He began in each one of us. And we were reminded of this in these two names of God, that God loves His people, He provides for His people, and He intervenes in the lives of His people. How many times has the Lord restrained your sin? He's restrained mine a whole lot of times. I walk away and say, man, I thought I would have said more than I did. Praise to God, I did You know, man, I got through that a lot better than I expected. God is so good. The first is Ishmael. This is the name that that Hagar is to give to uh, her son. And Abram will name this child Ishmael, by the way. Ishmael means God hears. So I prayed in the prayer earlier that God's name is Ishmael. It's not. I, I didn't mean to say that. It means God hears. We see those kinds of names all throughout Scripture. But isn't it good to know that God hears? Um, You know, I was thinking the other day about a party line. You know what a party line is, right? I was a small child when they got rid of these things. Uh, A party line used to be there'd be one line uh, on a phone line, and and you had different rings for different people on that line. And you could all pick up and talk at the same time or listen in to what was going on down the street. You know, it's kind of like a party line talking to God, isn't it? Everybody's talking at the same time, but God hears. God's not overwhelmed. If there are more than one or two people talking to me, I just kind of shut down. I just want to leave. That's not how God works. Have you cried out to God? He will hear you. Have you poured out your broken heart to Him? He will hear you. Have you made a mess of your life? God will hear you. He will hear the cry for forgiveness and repentance and strength Because he sent forth his son to pay the price for our sins, our moral shortcuts, that we might be called his children. What comfort it is to know that we have a place to run to, even when we make a mess of our lives, right? Not physically, emotionally, or spiritually, where God is not. He is in all those places. God will hear our cries when we call to him. If Abram and Sarai had called out to God, he would have heard and answered But instead, they took matters into their own hand. You know, every time they called Ishmael, you know, coming in, Ishmael, Ishmael, oh man, that means God hears. If I just called out to him, it's a rebuke every time he called out Ishmael's name. The second is El Roy. It shows up in the ESV as You're a God of Seeing, but the Hebrew is El, God, Roy, Seeing. God is a hearing God and God is a seeing God. These two names together indicate God's omniscience and sovereignty. Omniscience, all-knowing. There's nothing that is hidden from His sight. There's nothing too small that escapes His gaze. And we wonder if, we, if anyone knows what we're going through. The answer is yes. He sees what you're going through and He will respond. Well, there's danger from taking moral shortcuts. We're really good at making excuses of them, and there are a great many costs, often unintended. But by God's grace, while sometimes the consequences can't always be erased, the guilt for those things can be and have been by Christ. This is what our Savior accomplished upon the cross. He suffered and died and then was raised on the third day. Our lives can never get so out of control that we are beyond redeeming. This is because God has a plan for all history, and there's nothing that can foil it, change it, or ruin it. And if you are in Christ and you're part of His plan, part of His kingdom, the kingdom of God, and one day Christ our King will return and make all things new and clean up this big mess we've made. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, we thank You that You are the God of redemption. And that you are a God not of second and third and fourth chances, but of a hundredths and a thousandths. Uh, Father, we thank you for your redeeming love. Thank you for your grace. We thank you, O God, that you are a God of hearing and a God of seeing. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.